Thank you, though. Well, I don't think the online audience can hear us, so uh, I'm going to have to use some sign language. No working. <laughs> Doing the best we can, no working. All right. Uh, so I think that probably helped them at home. Don't you think so? I, they probably feel better now. So. All right. Welcome back. Good to see you guys today. You guys look pretty good. Um, I mean, I'm not actually looking at you because I didn't want to lie or anything, but I, I thought uh, I'd do that there. So we're in our series called Apostle, and what we're looking at as the guy that we're looking at the guy that God used to get the church going in the world and change the world through little things called ecclesias. We call them churches. And uh, what I'd like to do, I don't normally do this, but I want to kind of um, uh, re-hit an idea we touched on last week. Well, we didn't just talk touch on. We talked about it for almost an hour because uh, that's what we do. But anyway, last week, uh, so in this series so far, we've talked about the Apostle Paul's vision and how that he started with a vision that was his own, and then he got a vision from God, and that changed the world, but definitely him. Uh, Then last week, we talked about doctrine, and what we tried to do was give you three shelves to process everything you get taught in life, everything you learn from. And those shells were salvation by faith through grace. And what salvation at its core teaches us is that we are not our own God and that we need a God. So any teaching that you have in life that comes against the idea that you need a God does not belong on your shelf. Okay? The second idea was that of relationship, that God wants to be in relationship with you, and that relationship is supposed to be very, very close and very, very internal and very, very deep. And uh, so we believe in relationship by faith because of God's grace. And the words that Paul used were the words in Christ. And so that we are supposed, that God wants us to be part of his life. So any teaching you hear that isolates you, puts you on your own, leaves you outside of God, that does not belong on your shelf. The last shelf was the shelf of sacrifice. And that we sacrifice by faith because of God's grace. What that means is, is that because of uh, Jesus taught us to lay down our lives, Paul taught us to put to death those things within us that were like everyone else and to live in, in the kingdom. So anything that teaches you to live for yourself, that propagates your own greed and comfort, it doesn't belong on that shelf. So those are three uh, framework of three ideas that you can use to evaluate and consider most of the things that you hear in life. So we talked about that. So there, that's all I'm going to talk about last Sunday. I'm going to try and keep this Sunday's sermon under. Never mind, no promises. So uh, what we're going to do. <laughs> so we're talking about Paul today, and we're talking today about his methods. And because I only have a limited amount to speak, I'm only going to talk about three things that I see out of Paul's approach to ministry. But the reality is this, that when Paul started, uh, when he got that vision from God, he spent some time learning from Jesus, and then he went out and he planted these ecclesia, these little churches. And some of those churches had a dramatic beginning, some of them had a long story, and all of them brought into the reality of the world we live in today. All of them produced this idea and this faith that we call Christianity. So I like to look at how did Paul do that, because what Paul did has lasted millennia. And so that's a powerful idea. 
So I grew up in the uh, 70s as a child, a teenager in the 80s when the music was still good. Um, It's okay if you laugh. I mean, if the jokes are bad and you laugh, that's grace. If the jokes are good, then, you know, that's just, that's not grace at all. That's just good jokes. So anyway, but... uh, Anyway, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and that was kind of the peak of the, the, the evangelical, evangelistic era and movement, okay? And so what happened, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, people realized that, there ne- that more people needed to be in church. That's a pretty good idea. More people needed to hear about Jesus. That's a pretty good idea. And so a lot of wonderful things came out of the uh, evangelistic movement. You had uh, a, lot of, a lot of ways to share your faith, the four spiritual laws, the good news, bad news. There's all kinds of ways to tell people how they could come into a personal relationship with Jesus. That was good. But there was some stuff that wasn't so good. And what happened in the 70s and 80s and 90s and 2000s and continues today is this idea that the church has to compete with the world in which it exists. And what that means is a lot of times we're trying to compete with the world, and when we do that, we make ourselves like the world around us. And then church becomes like Walmart, but with a cross on the door instead of a smiley face. Church becomes a consumer endeavor. We choose our church based on the, the things we like and the goods and services that it provides. The problem with that idea is that is about the most unbiblical way you can think of. There's no way you can consume your way into Jesus or into the kingdom. And that's not how the ecclesia worked in the first century. So I want to look at that, um, the, the way that Paul approached it today, and I want to apply it to us as individuals and as a church. Because I believe what Paul did, we can do. I don't believe it's complex, and I believe that if we will uh, pay attention and and follow his uh, template, his framework, so to speak, that we can begin to not only impact our own lives and be stronger in our faith, but also our city, which is my goal and mission, is to be a church that's important to the city in which it exists, not just the four walls that it meets within, okay? Are you still here? Say, so, Michael, you didn't have enough jokes in that opener. I know it. I might have done that on purpose. Acts 16, verse 9. That night, Paul had a vision. Bad burritos. Just kidding. Paul had a vision. You're going to encounter phrases like this a lot in the Bible. And I know they don't match up with what you're being told about Christianity. That's because what you're being told isn't accurate. What you find in the scriptures, that's what you should base your expectations upon. So Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So, this is Luke writing the account about his journey with Paul. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded... From a vision that God was calling us to preach the good news there. So this is the first thing I see in Paul's journey that I want in my journey, and I want to encourage you to have in yours, and it's simply this, responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, you know, I, I, almost, I almost wanted to ask you to raise hands, but, but I guess I won't do that. I don't want to make anybody feel too weird. I mean, it's weird enough sometimes. So, But have you ever, you don't have to signify in any way, but have you ever felt like that God, through the Holy Spirit, told you to do something, and you did it? You ever, just give me a little nod, subtle nod. Okay, that's good. We don't want to make anybody feel too weird, just a little weird, okay? Yeah, it's a big yes. Thank you, Mr. E. <laughs> so Paul had a vision, and based on what he saw in the vision, he made a decision. He went somewhere. And I call that responsive to the Holy Spirit, and I think it's critical, and here's why. Because the church, or the ecclesia, as we're using that Greek word that our word church kind of comes from in a very loose way, the church was Jesus' idea. In fact, it was so much Jesus' idea that he said this in Matthew 16. He says, I say to you, you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. He doesn't say, Peter, you know, you're, uh, your name means rock, and on this rock, you will build my church. He says, I will build it. So Jesus takes responsibility for the church. He's the one who's going to make it strong. He's the one who's going to make it unstoppable. This is Jesus' work. He's not only going to do that, he's also going to make it pure. Paul writes this in Ephesians 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. Jesus is the one who takes on responsibility of the church. You and I can't build Jesus' church. We can build an organization, an entity. We can do what we want and say it's in Jesus' name, but we can't do something that Jesus said he would do. You can't offer to God things that you want to offer to God. You can only give to God what God desires from you. It's the sin of Cain. Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain's the first guy who killed someone, and it was his brother. I don't know if you know the, the, what predicated the story or the start of the story, but what happened was is that Abel went to God with the offering that God wanted, and Cain went to God with the offering that Cain wanted. That was Cain's sin. He was trying to give Cain, uh, God what Cain wanted to give God, not what God desired from Cain. And we can't do that with, with Jesus' church either. We can't do it the way we want. We don't get to decide. Jesus is the one who's in charge of his church. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. You guys have been in church. You guys understand that, right? Yeah. Now, you guys haven't been in church much, and you're not really with me yet. It's okay. Don't worry. We'll get there. I'll, I'll get to something that makes sense eventually. Ordinary faith will treat you so many ways, you're bound to like one of them. <clears throat> so, so it's Jesus' church. And, and Paul understood that. i got to share the scripture for a couple reasons. One, every now and then I just love to read the message just to mess with people. <clears throat> and uh, also, this passage is very sobering. And it's, an, it's from Jesus' own lips, why you can't just do what you want and stick a Jesus label on it. You have to give God what he wants. And so Jesus says this, out of the message, which gives it a very casual Southern kind of feel sometimes. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 21. Knowing the correct password to get into heaven, saying, Master, Master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. This is Jesus talking. 
What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me saying, Master, we preached the message, we bashed the demons, our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. The message, man, you got to love it. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit, you're out of here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so... In Luke's account of Paul's story in Acts uh, 16, where we just read, Paul has a purpose. He's doing things. He's moving. But he's, he wants to respond to what Jesus is doing. Because Paul knows Jesus builds his church, and Paul's a part of that. And that's what we need to know. We, Jesus builds his church, and we're a part of that. But he's in charge. And so Paul is taking the message out of Jerusalem, which we talked about in our starting point series, and he's trying to get it out into the world. And something happens. They get to this crossroad, the proverbial crossroad, so to speak, and Paul's like, do we go this way? And Luke records it as this, Jesus said no. We don't know how Jesus said no. We just know that Luke, Peter, I mean Paul, and whoever's with him, they knew that where they wanted to go was not where Jesus wanted to go. And so they're waiting at this crossroads. And what finally decided where they're supposed to go was a dream. Paul had a dream about someone, a vision, inviting them in to Macedonia. And he took that as a go sign to follow Jesus into Macedonia. We could learn a lot from that. But my, the thing we want to embrace today is learning to live in responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. Learning to, to, to not just go about and do our thing all day, every day. Sit out and make our to-do list all day, every day. Our weekly list all day, every day. But that we should not just have room, we should have the mandate, the priority. That I'm here to do what Jesus wants me to do. I'm here to build my family like Jesus wants it built. I'm here to build my finances like Jesus wants them built. I want my career to reflect the heart of Jesus, not my own pride and need for success or any of those kinds of things. I'm here to do, I want to respond to Jesus Christ and build those kinds of things. There are a lot of ministries, businesses that exist today because someone had a, a good idea. And you can do that. You can package a good idea, write, about a, write a book about a good idea. You, you can make cool graphics about a good idea. You can sell that good idea. People do it all the time. But that's not how Jesus builds his ecclesia, his community. It's not how he builds your faith either. We have to learn to live in responsiveness to Jesus. And Paul had a lot of gifts, a lot of talents, and he was always moving, but he was also flexible. If, Holy, if Jesus said go here, Paul was ready to go there. Okay? So, first thing, responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. You got it? Responsive to the... Holy Spirit, you answer for the whole class, and maybe they'll follow you. Okay. Holy Spirit. Responsiveness to, responsiveness, I can't say responsiveness. What's that word I'm trying to say, Tucker? Response? Responsive. To the Holy? Holy Spirit. Okay, man, I tell you what, I don't know this woman at all. This was not. First thing, responsiveness to the whole, responsiveness. Good Lord. Four syllable words just mess me up where I come from. <laughs> Acts 16, 13. So they go to Macedonia. 
They're following Jesus. But Acts 16, 13, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. I don't know what your vision of what Paul is like. I used to have the idea that what Paul did was he just walked into town found the nearest hornet's nest to kick over, and that was how he started. It seems, I mean, to hear other people tell it, you think that's how Jesus started. But that's not how it worked at all. And we see it perfectly in, in Macedonia. As they, they come into uh, the town of Philippi, they don't, start, they don't even start at the synagogue. They don't start with the Pharisees. They go down to the river where they think some people might be praying. They are alert to people who are open to spiritual things, to Jesus. They're not just trying to shove the good news down anybody's throat. They're looking for someone who might have a table set for it, who might be ready for it. It reminds me of a time uh, just before I surrendered to the ministry, I went to Mexico with some friends to share the gospel with one of our friends that was in the group, his hometown in Mexico, El Tule, Mexico, which is a a little bitty town up in the mountains of uh, Chihuahua. And, man, we really thought we were doing something. You ever do that? You ever do something from God, for God, and you think you're really nailing it? You're like, yes, yes, I'm getting bonus points. Woo-hoo! Going to be some extra jewels in my crown. All right, I don't know how you look at it, but anyway, uh, excuse me, I do this. It's just a thing we do, okay? So we go to El Tule, Mexico. It was a long flight. It was a long drive. It was very difficult to get there, and you know, I am patting myself on the back the whole way, man, I'm really serving Jesus, laying down the sacrifice, uh, it's good. Get to town, and uh, found out that there were three or four women in the town, the, only, the town only had a, a Catholic church, and the priest wasn't there very often, so they were going every week and praying in this Catholic church for someone to come to town and tell them about Jesus. We didn't know this. It had been going on for years. Here I am patting myself on the back, and all I'm really doing is walking in step with Jesus. We saw like 300 people in a town of 1,000 come to Jesus in four or five days. It was crazy. In fact, I didn't even know what they were understanding us because everybody we talked to uh, was getting, coming to faith in Jesus. And I thought, that we got to be doing something wrong. And then we met the town witch. And then I'm like, oh, no, Jesus has got this. My point is, is that when Paul got to town, he looked for people who were, Jesus would call them peaceful people. And I think we learned this, I think Paul learned it either from the disciples or from Jesus himself. Because the Bible says in Matthew 10, 11, when Jesus was giving the disciples the initial instructions to go out and share the good news about the kingdom, he said, when you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person. The King James says, a person of peace. And stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. So Paul started with friendly people, with peaceful people, with worthy people. And here's what we can learn from that. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm really trying to get the people I want straightened out. Straightened out. The people that I'm like, oh, they would be so great in the kingdom 
Or, or maybe it's someone even in my own family. I have eight sons, so I got my own mission field we gave birth to, you know? Uh, and there's people in your life that you're like, man, we just, I, if they could just get a hold of Jesus, if they could just get their life on track, if they could just, whatever, fill in the blank, the, if they could just. And we invest all of our energy in those people, either worrying about them, trying to talk to them, uh, prayers, all those kind of things for them. And I'm not saying stop praying for people that you care about. That's, that's not my point at all. My point is this. There are people around us that are probably looking to step up in their relationship with Christ or curious about Jesus or curious about how you can live in such a way that's different from their life. And so Paul looked for those kinds of people, people who were open to the, the good news about Jesus Christ. And that would be a great way for us to start. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm really not much of a gardener. I know every way possible to watch a plant die, but I haven't figured out how to keep one alive yet. But I know this. I, I was in a meeting several years ago with a, a guy who just moved here from Utah, and he planted his garden at late March. And we all laughed at him. <laughs> he said... Uh, It'll probably be okay, right? I said, no, it'll probably freeze. Uh, but anyway, so I was very compassionate. And uh, you, you can't run out into your garden and expect to pull tomatoes out in Wyoming in June. Uh, unless you have a hothouse or greenhouse or something, and maybe you'll get lucky with July then. But um, you, you have to know what's in season, and you have to, to know what's going on. And so Paul understood that people had to be open and they had to be friendly to and peaceful to Jesus. So ask yourself a question. Is there anyone in your life right now that you could help get a little closer to Jesus? You could love a little bit, be patient with, pray for some more. Stand next to them. Maybe tell them how God sees them. Maybe share with them what God thinks they're capable of. Of and how much God is for them. You realize that the average person believes that God is their enemy. You know who told them that? Their enemy. And so you have to, who's in your life right now? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe they'll listen. Sometimes spouses don't listen to us. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you're at a season in your life that you can help your kids know as much as they can about Jesus, disciple them. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's a friend. Somewhere that someone has a, a measure of peace toward you and is open to Jesus. Is there anyone that you could help? And then those people that you can't, the people you love and you would love to see them come to faith or grow in their faith. I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. In fact, the horse might baptize you if he kicks you in, right? But you can, you can keep praying, and you can help everyone else you can. I had a pastor tell me once, he said, he said if, if your kids won't listen to you, share Jesus with somebody else's kids, and maybe someone else will share Jesus with your kids. If your friends won't listen to you, share Jesus with somebody else's friends, and maybe one of their friends will share faith with them. You see what I'm saying? There's someone in your life that you might get help just get a little closer to Jesus. And, and, and I, you don't have to be an amazing evangelist for any of this stuff. You don't even have to know the four spiritual laws or any of that. You know, the best testimony you got for, going for you is the fact that you used to be a wreck. And you're still kind of a wreck. But Jesus showed up and cleaned up your mess. 
and you're way farther than you were. That's the best story you got going. That is the gospel, by the way. It's, it's, it's God fixing all the things. It's not the entirety of the gospel, but it's God coming into a world that's deeply messed up and beginning the process to make it whole. God being the initiator. And that's what he did in your life, and that's what he'll do for those who are around you. <clears throat> Technology today. The enemy fell out of heaven and landed in our soundboard. It's great. So, <clears throat> so share the story with whoever, with anyone that you can. And the last thing I want to show you about Paul, he was, he was, he let the Holy Spirit guide him. He was alert to people who were open to Jesus. And the last thing I want to share with you is that Paul was a spiritual father. And uh, the, let, me, let me open it up this way. 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. And they were kind of ornery. They were, they were the, probably the orneriest church in the New Testament, okay? And, and he writes to him. he says... Even if you had 10,000 others teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. Paul spent 18 months in Corinth planting this church. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you, so I urge you to imitate me. Oh, my dear children, Apostle Paul, church at Corinth, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. I'm sorry, this was Galatians. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your life. The last thing I want you to see about Paul was that he saw himself as a father to the fatherless. So bear with me as I apply this. Paul didn't have any biological sons and daughters. Paul gave his life to Christ. He lived single until he died. But he had a lot of spiritual sons and children in the ministry. Uh, in fact, his whole life, everything Paul talked about, it sounds like he lived in a family all the time. Because he talks about uh, Barnabas like he's a brother, Timothy, Silas, and many others he talked about as sons. And then when he, don't even get him started about churches, because when he started talking about the church at Galatia, the church at Philippi, the church at Corinth, man, Paul's heart just overflowed. And you want to see that father's heart toward a son, read Timothy, read Titus. And you see this, this man who never had any biological sons, you see him speak and love and advise like a dad. Where does this come from? This guy whose letters just drip with genuine affection, care, respect, love, even though there's correction in there. And here's where I think it comes from. I think God... Loves being a father. And I think that being in the image of God, the image we were created in, is being a father to the fatherless. Let's take gender out of this equation. This a parenting. Here's this passage in Psalms that's awesome. You should probably reference it later when you're feeling isolated and alone. He says in Psalm 68:4, his name is the Lord, rejoice in his presence. Father. To the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God, whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. In a world 
where almost statistically, practically, no one is stepping up to be a father anymore. God is a father. In a world of so many fatherless, God is the father of the fatherless. Think about this for a minute. That the heart of God is to put the lonely in families and and to wrap His arms and His life and His heart and His care and His love and compassion around everyone. That from day one in the Garden of Eden, when everything's done and you have Adam and Eve in this garden, God isn't there wanting subjects to do His bidding. He's there wanting children to be in His family. This is the heart of God. And in a world today where people are isolated alone with no family history to speak of, no one to step up and be dad or mom in a legitimate, real, consistent way. It's a season to take Paul's lesson of being a parent. A spiritual parent. And that's how he saw the ecclesia. He didn't see it as churches on a mission. They were churches on a mission. He saw them as families. Standing together, growing together, nurturing each other, encouraging each other. He saw the elders and the bishops and all those things that we've turned into offices. He saw them as parents who rose up because they served. I mean, are are there any parents in the room? Any of you guys parents in the room? Just like look happy for just one second. Okay, good job. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're the parent. Do you remember when you were a kid and you looked at your parents and go, and you thought to yourself, they're in charge. And now you're the parent. How's that working for you? How's that whole in charge thing going? As you're changing another diaper or cleaning up another child's mess or fixing another broken thing or paying for the next thing and paying for the next thing and paying, pain, pain. Why does pain and pain sound so alike? Oh, yeah, because I'm Southern. Thanks, honey. <laughs> Parenting always starts with serving. It's, it's always serving. It's caring. As a parent, you're taking this life that God gave you in whatever situation you're having to deal with, and you're, you're trying to deliver them safely and sanely into a world where they can succeed and they can be strong, right? And that's exactly what Paul saw for the church. He saw himself as a spiritual parent. He saw the elders in the church as spiritual parents. This was Paul's idea of the church of Ecclesia. This idea, hear me, this idea that you can be a Lone Ranger Christian, float through an ecclesia or a church every so often, get a little bit of what you need, and basically just go off and do your own thing. It needs to die on the cross with Jesus. Jesus died for that kind of thinking. Because we need each other. And as the world changes, and it certainly will, and it certainly has, more and more we're going to need, see and realize we need each other. I know it's not very Wyoming to say. You just cowboy up and you keep going. You just make yourself do it. Why don't you shut up and sit down? <laughs> not even cowboys do it alone, man. We need to not cowboy up. We need to corral up. We need people around us that we care about and that care about us, that know us and we know them, that know us enough to be annoying. 
The people that matter the most in your life are the most annoying, right? (laughs) Seriously, your spouse is so annoying. Your kids, so annoying. Their kids, really. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Why is that? Because they know you, and you know them. You can smear any kind of garbage you want all over Facebook and paint this stupid picture that isn't real. Everyone knows it, but we want to still compare ourselves to it. And because we love feelings of insecurity and inadequacy, apparently. But when you are in community, when you're in ecclesia, when you're in the family, now it's, it's brothers and sisters and spiritual parents and we're alongside of each other and sometimes it gets really messy and and sometimes you feel isolated but then the ecclesia comes in and they lift you and they pray for you and they go as far with you as you'll let them go to hold you up you see that's why the early church changed the world it wasn't because they had a great strategy It was because Paul was committed to the idea that Jesus built his church, not Paul. It was because Paul was committed to the idea that there there are people that need Jesus and want Jesus, and that's who I'm sent to talk to first. Oh, he surely argued with the people who didn't want Jesus. But then he also realized that when these people begin to walk their faith journey, they're going to find out something they probably knew before, but they're still going to be surprised by it, and that's this. It's hard. It's hard. It's challenging. It's it's difficult to read the Bible or listen to a message or be challenged by a friend and change the way you live your life. It's difficult to look at your finances differently than everyone else in the world. It's difficult to look at your life, your marriage, your parenting, your business, your job, your career. It's difficult to look at it like something that Jesus is in charge of and to look at it differently than everyone else in the world. And so Paul's idea was that we're going to raise up this family, this, this ecclesia, this community, and they're going to help each other through. Because there's going to be so much they're not going to understand. So much that's going to be a challenge. But they're going to help each other through. And I wanted to share with you what it looked like in Paul, uh, Peter's eyes. Because all the disciples had the same view. But this passage in 1 Peter 1-5, through 5, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1, chapter 5. It says, as a fellow elder, as another spiritual parent in, the, in this family, I appeal to you, I I beg you, I, I plead with you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it, because you are eager to serve God. Do you see how Peter saw how the family of God should work? That there would have to be care, that there would have to be watching over. Do you know why this is? Have you noticed in life, life is not like school. It's not like college. It's not like your education. In life, the test comes first, and the lesson comes later. Right? and, And here's the problem. A lot of us, because of our education, we thought 
we could be prepared and pass every test first go. How's that working for you? That's not how it works, is it? In life, the, the test comes, the, the relational challenges, the kids, and you think you know what you're doing until you, are, you, you take all of that head knowledge and now we apply it and we realize that what I know and what I know are now very different things. That's why the church needs people in it, not just pastors. This isn't just Steve and Becky and Michael and Christy's job or the leadership team's job. This is the family Man, we need moms and dads and aunts and uncles and weird uncles and weird aunts. You decide who you are. I personally would like to be the weird uncle. I love that. And so in life, because the test comes first, we are often failing. That's how life works. Life is the person you are is the person you've become because you bumped into failure first. And then you grew. That's why you need people around you. Peter went on to say, Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. I love this. Lead them by your own good example. What I see here is authenticity. This idea that you have these perfect leaders. I, I, I long for the day that the only person on a pedestal in the eyes of Christians is Jesus. I long for that day. Amen. I am so sick of Christian rock stars and idols and all this kind of stuff. And I never want to be one. Please don't put me on the pedestal. It just holds me up so the enemy can hit me with stuff. I don't want that, all right? Got enough things hitting me. My point is, is that we need to live with authenticity. I mean, we need to live and say, hey, this is my life. It ain't perfect. I got problems. I don't get things right. I fail. But I have Jesus. And we have each other. And that's, that's what leadership looks like in the kingdom. It's not a perfect image. It's a flawed person pursuing Jesus. That, that's all. That's all any of us are ever going to be able to be. The best thing I can do, the most admirable thing I can do is passionately follow Jesus. Then Peter went on to say, in the same way you are, who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here you see the issues of authority, which we don't get, it just doesn't get talked about enough. And, and the enemy loves that we don't talk about authority. And here's why. The only way you can have the authority of Jesus is to be under the authority of Jesus. The only way anyone has authority is to be under authority. That police officer that pulls you over on your way to church because you were trying to drive too fast because it took too long at the coffee shop. I'm sorry. I, I don't know anyone. I'm just guessing. That's you. I'm sorry. Just guessing. <sighs> That police officer pulled you over. He doesn't have authority because he decided to stick a badge on his chest and go out and drive real fast around town today. He has authority because he went through a training program. He submitted to the authority of the leadership of this city. And he has that office and authority because he's under the authority of the police department of Rock Springs. Or the Wyoming State Troopers, depending on where you were speeding. You see what I mean? It's the same in the kingdom. There, you have to be under authority to have authority. It's the same in a family. You can't represent the family if you won't accept the authority of the family. 
It's that way everywhere. It's, it's, it's an absolute principle of the kingdom. So we have to understand there's structures of authority, but then Peter wraps that in this idea of humility. And why wouldn't he? This is the same Peter who stood before Jesus and said, I will never turn my back on you. And like hours later goes, I don't know that guy. He had to be humble because he knew he failed. And we have to be the same, wrapping our lives in humility, understanding, releasing judgment. This is what makes the ecclesia powerful. It's not the ability to stand over people and say, well, naughty, naughty, you messed up. It's the ability to say, I'm here. I've messed up too. I didn't, maybe I didn't mess up like you, but I mess up too. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going I'm to help you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you. You see, this idea of a father, this was Jesus' vision of the ecclesia, the church. It was, it was his idea. He builds it, but it's built on that family structure. Why? Because Jesus is the son of God. And Jesus' heart's like the father's heart. Jesus' heart demonstrates the Father's heart. He takes the lonely and puts them in families. He doesn't clean them up and make them lone rangers. He puts them in families. This is the message of the apostle. I hope these three ideas will help you be responsive to the Holy Spirit. Look for people that you can help. And also come alongside someone else. And be a spiritual parent. Never seeking the title, but seeking the office of serving. So that we can build. The, 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 what this does is it doesn't just change a church. It transforms a community. What you get infected with in here, you begin to propagate out there. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Worship team. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for a chance to to look into your word, to look at the life of Paul, learn a few lessons. Lord, there's so many lessons we could teach about and learn about Paul's methods. But Lord, to